You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness to us, Father. Thank you for your love. Father, thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you for his shed blood. Thank you for the price that he paid to redeem us, to heal us, to deliver us and set us free. Father, I thank you that as we study your word tonight, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he is our teacher and he will bring revelation and insight to us. And Father, I believe that as we feed upon your word, our faith is going to grow. Lord, that we'll be strengthened and we will not end up this Bible study the way that we started and we'll be better for it, Father. And we just believe to receive and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tur- turn in your uh, your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. We're going to look at our, our uh, main text for this series. We began last week talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, as I said to you, um, the Lord really some time ago laid it on my heart to at least once a year teach on the Holy Spirit. I hadn't really... Uh, up prior to that point, really hadn't done it as often as perhaps I should have. And so uh, he laid that on my heart. And so we're endeavoring every year to to take some time to teach and to minister on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the one thing I love about Wednesday nights is that we can take our time with it. We can, uh, you know, go into the details that we need to uh, cover with it. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, I'm going to read from the New King James. And then last week we read from the Bible in basic English, and I'll read that translation again as well. But the the New King James says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, as we said, the word gifts there is italicized in the New King James and the Old King James meaning that that word was added by the translators. And so I, I really appreciate the, the Bible in basic English version. It, it really translates it the correct way. It says, but about the things of the Spirit, not necessarily the Holy Spirit, but spiritual things, but about the things of the Spirit, my brothers, it is not right for you to be without teaching. And so that's why we're doing this. That's why we're spending time talking about the Holy Spirit. I believe the Lord wants us to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with the Holy Spirit uh, because he's the one that's in the earth ministering not only to us, but to lost people as well. But we need to understand how he works, um, how he moves in the earth, how he wants to move in us, how he wants to move through us. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And so we began talking about who is the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we, we said last week, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an it. He's a person. Now, there, you, you can have an experience with the Holy Spirit, and, and that is, of course, an it. But he is a person. And we need to always keep that in mind when referring to him. 
You know, if somebody was talking about you and referring to you, you wouldn't want them to call you in it. So uh, keep that in mind when talking about the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead. Of course, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so he is uh, part of the Godhead. And we also said last week, as I just mentioned, he is the third person in the Trinity. And then we also said that the Holy Spirit is the most absolute perfect gentleman. In other words, the Holy Spirit will never push you. The Holy Spirit will never override your will. The Holy Spirit will never prod you. All of those things describe what the devil and demons try and do. Demons try and push people. The devil tries to uh, coerce and force people to do certain things, but the Holy Spirit will never do that. And the reason being is he wants us to choose him. He wants us to, as an act of our will, to surrender our lives to him, to choose his operation in our lives. And so that's why he operates that way. And so big difference that you can uh, tell between him moving and God in general moving in your life is, is there pressure? Is there, is, is it being forceful? Okay. Now God will be strong with you and uh, plain and blunt with you, but he will never push you into something. Okay. And then we began talking about two different works that the Holy Spirit does, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit within us, and then the work of the Holy Spirit upon us. And so last week we began talking about this, and so uh, we talked about some of the things that the Holy Spirit does within us. The first thing we said was this, is that it's the Holy Spirit that causes us to be born again. He is the one that does the work on the inside of us. The scripture makes reference to us being born of the Spirit. And so the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that does the recreative work on the inside of us when we receive Christ and we are born again. And number two, the Holy Spirit enables us to have God's help. God the Father is in heaven but he sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper. The Lord Jesus said that. He said that in John chapter 14, that the Spirit, when he comes, will help us. He will be our helper. And uh, so he has been sent to help us. The third ministry that the Holy Spirit does within us is to develop Christ-like character in us. Christ-like character. Now, and I, I want to just read something to you. Galatians chapter 5, please. Turn over there with me. Galatians chapter 5. And you're familiar with this scripture, but it refers to the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I'm going to read it out of the New King James. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Galatians, Galatians 5 verse 22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Okay, so all of those things, those nine fruit of the Spirit are what the Holy Spirit does or and endeavors to do and produce on the inside of us 
so that when people see our lives, that they see a life that is a representative of the Lord Jesus. Now, I heard this this week uh, from someone, a minister, and I really like this. Uh, for there to be fruit to be produced, a seed had to be there first. Okay? You can't have fruit without first having a seed. Now, of course, the seed grows up, produces the tree, and then the tree produces the fruit. But um, this minister said that for fruit to be developed, there must have been a seed there first. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the seed for all of those nine fruit of the Spirit is already present in the spirit of every believer. When the Holy Spirit came and caused us to be born again, He deposited those seeds on the inside of us to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's something that you need to understand, and this going back to, again, what we said about the Holy Spirit being a gentleman, and that is this. You have more to determine, or, or let me say it this way. You determine how much of the fruit of the Spirit is produced more than the Holy Spirit does. Okay? In other words, the Holy Spirit is not going to just take over and produce the fruit of the Spirit. You have to cooperate with Him. You have to work with Him and work with God's Word in order for the fruit of the Spirit to be produced. But here's my point, is that the potential for the fruit of the Spirit to be produced is there in every believer. Now, it's a shame if it remains a seed, you know, throughout your Christian life, but uh, the good news is that you can work with the Holy Spirit and develop uh, that, those fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see is this, that too, that the Holy Spirit will work with you and deal with you uh, as to, you know, maybe there's uh, one of the fruit that you need to deal with more. For instance, if, you know, your heart is or mind is filled with anxiety and you're stressed out, you know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And so what the Holy Spirit will do is He'll begin to move in you and deal with you about needing to produce uh, this thing called peace on the inside of you and peace in your soul. And so what He'll do is He'll begin to work with you in that process. But you have a choice in that. You can stop it or you can cooperate with Him at that point. And so that's the way all of this works, okay? The next thing, the next ministry of the Holy Spirit within us is we said that the Holy Spirit wants to be our guide, our guide, G-U-I-D-E, okay? He wants to lead you and guide you and uh, be the source of revelation and, and direction for your life. You know, I, I, I believe with the help of the Holy Spirit, it is possible... <laughs> for you and me to make fewer and fewer dumb decisions. I don't know about you, but I've made my quota of poor decisions in my life. And, uh, uh, you know, I would rather learn how to follow his guidance and follow his leading and make less and less poor decisions and make better and better decisions for my life. Now in this, he'll show you uh, different aspects of your life. And, you know, in following the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit, we always start with the Word. The Word gives us a basis to work from as far as direction from the Holy Spirit. 
but also there are specifics in our lives that the Holy Spirit will deal with us on specifically that are pertinent to us uh, regarding individual things. Where do I need to work? What do I need to do here? So forth and so on. So he will, he will lead you and he will guide you. Then in number five is the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. He wants to be our teacher. Now, the, the scripture says, or Jesus said in John the 16th chapter, that the Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us into all truth. He will teach us and show us revelation and insight from God's word. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need people as far as um, God-anointed, Spirit-anointed people to minister to us. But, uh, you know, if he will minister to you and he will teach you apart from, uh, you know, or by yourself, rather, in your prayer time, your meditation time, and just as importantly, he will speak to you through, um, you know, an anointed minister that's ministering the word of God. The Holy Spirit will minister to you in that way. So he wants to bring truth and revelation and light from God's word into our spirits and the way that he does that is by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so further talking about the work of the Spirit within and the Spirit upon, let's go over to John the fourteenth, the fourth chapter, rather. Excuse me, John, the Gospel of John, chapter four. John chapter four, and look at verse thirteen. Now, Jesus, and we've looked at this last week, but I want to look at it again. Jesus is having a conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. And, uh, you know, he asked her for a drink and, uh, you know, she, she's surprised that he would even talk to her, much less ask her for a drink. And uh, in the 13th chapter, uh, Jesus said this, referring to the well, he said uh, in, excuse me, in John 4, verse 13, he said this, whoever drinks of this water, talking about that natural water in the well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, of course, the, the water that he's speaking here is a type and a shadow of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit ministering. But notice what he said, that the, the water would be in him, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So what Jesus is showing us here is the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the believer, within the person that knows and loves the Lord. Turn over with me to John, the seventh chapter, please. John 7, verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37, just a couple of pages over. Now notice what this says. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So he's talking about water again. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here we see uh, Jesus referring to a different work of the Holy Spirit. And notice he said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So in the first uh, reference in John 4, Jesus talked about water springing up on the inside of you. But here in John chapter 7, he talks about water flowing out of you and, and being able to flow out to other people, rivers of living water. And that's the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us for the benefit of others. The first one is for our own benefit. The second one is for the benefit of other people. So we see that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would work in these two different ways. Now go over with me to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1. And let's begin in verse 4. Acts chapter 1 in verse 4. Now probably in the days to come, lessons to come, won't spend this much time uh, reviewing, but I wanted to cover these things again. Acts chapter 1 verse 4, and it says this, and being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Now, when did they hear about the promise? Well, back over there in John 14 and 16 that we just mentioned, he promised them the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing to note is the disciples at this point are already born again, okay? Big, big thing to make note of here. They have already experienced the new birth. So he said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, verse five, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Notice he didn't say he's come within you, he's come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in, in, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they've already been born again, so they've experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in them, but Jesus told them that there's something else that's getting ready to happen. There's another experience with the Holy Spirit that was gonna become available to them when power would come upon them. So what Jesus is showing us here is that there is a second experience for believers that he wants believers to have. And, and, and as he said in verse five, and this is where we get the phrase, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Some people call it the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but that's what Jesus is speaking about. And it's this second experience that is available to believers. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the second experience, is an additional dimension of the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So again, it's real important to understand the differentiation between the work of the Spirit within 
and the work of the Spirit upon. Okay? Now, as I mentioned to you last week, there's only one Holy Spirit. He does all of these different works. Okay? Uh, like Brother Hagin used to say all the time, he's not twins. There's not one Holy Spirit at work in you and another Holy Spirit that baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. It's all the same Holy Spirit. It's just two different works that he does in the life of the believer. Now, you're there in Acts chapter 1. Go over to Acts chapter 2. And let's see what happened when uh, this experience happened that Jesus told them would happen. And it says um, uh, they were gathered in the upper room and they, they waited. Well, let me point that out to you. Um, Look at verse 14 of chapter 1, Acts 1, 14. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Now, I think this is pretty interesting. Um, you know, his brothers, Jesus' half-brothers, his brothers by Mary and Joseph, you remember uh, at one point they all walked away from him. Because you remember when uh, Jesus, there was one opportunity or one, one situation where uh, Mary and, and the, the brothers sent word into a house where Jesus was ministering and, and said, tell Jesus to come out here and talk to us. And they said, uh, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus turned to the people inside the house that he was ministering to. And he said, here, who are my brothers and my mother, but those that obey my word. And then there was another opportunity where uh, they thought he had lost his mind. And so basically they kind of separated themselves from him with the exception of his mother, but his siblings did. Now what I find really interesting and, and good, of course, is the fact that they eventually came back around. And we see here that, that they have now been born again. Mary, his mother's been born again. His siblings have been born again. And so they're all together again. Matter of fact, the half-brother of Jesus, James, uh, became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So we see that that relationship took a little bit of a change when uh, they were all born again. So anyway, that all being said, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, now, the day of Pentecost was an, uh, an annual feast that the Jews celebrated every year, okay? Uh, th there was a certain time of year that they were told under the Old Testament to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And so this day, and it was 40 days after uh, the Day of Atonement, which, which in the New Testament is 40 days after Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection, okay? So the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were all sitting. So the noise, the wind filled the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And we'll finish talking about what happened in just a little bit. But here's the first thing that I want you to see. This experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of that happening is the supernatural ability of praying or speaking in other tongues. Okay? Now, let me tell you what speaking in other tongues is. <laughs> I heard somebody not too long ago <laughs> say that uh, when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, that they were given supernatural ability to speak a foreign language just for the purpose of somebody that was there in Jerusalem being able to hear and understand them. And that was the only purpose for it. Now, of course, we know that that happened, but that was not the totality of what happened, and it was not the purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 what the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and that is this. It is so that you may receive power, so that you may be witnesses in, in ultimately all the earth. Okay? So, uh, now, notice what happened, though. Go with me. Look again in verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the implied subject of this verse is they, the disciples. So it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we'll talk more about this in a little bit, but uh, it's very important to notice this, okay? The Holy Spirit does not speak in tongues. You do. But you do it as mm -hmm. He gives you the utterance. All right? So it says that they, the disciples, and, and somehow or another people think uh, that when you receive this experience, that the Holy Spirit comes on you and just overtakes you and then you start speaking in tongues and then that's the depth of your experience and then once that's over, it's over. And, uh, you know, and you know, unless the Holy Spirit moves like that again, you don't pray in tongues anymore. Well, that's not scriptural either because Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, he told them, he said, I pray in the Spirit or I pray in other tongues more than you all, meaning he prayed in the Spirit or prayed in other tongues anytime he wanted to, okay? So, all right, we'll talk more about that. Go over with me to Acts chapter 10, please. Acts the 10th chapter. All right, so the initial evidence of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak in other tongues. And, and I told you I was going to give you a, a definition of that, okay? Here's a simple definition of of what it means uh, to speak in other tongues. All right, here we go. It is the supernatural ability to speak in a language unknown to the speaker. It's a supernatural ability to speak in a language unknown to the speaker. Okay. All right. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Now, this is 
Peter uh, has seen a vision. You remember where the vision of the sheet was lowered down that had all the animals on it? And the Lord told him, he said, arise and kill. And Peter said, uh, Lord, I can't partake of that which is unclean. And this happened three times. And the Lord finally spoke to him and said, don't refer to unclean that which I have cleansed. And what it was is it was uh, a, a symbol to show Peter that the gospel is for the Gentiles, just like it is for the Jews. Okay. And so at the same time that Peter was having that vision, there was a man named Cornelius in another town that also had a vision. He had a visitation from an angel who told him uh, that he, he loved God, wanted to uh, deepen his relationship with God. So the angel told him to seek after this man, Peter, send some people to Peter's house and uh, he will tell you what you need to do. And so Cornelius sends for Peter and Peter ends up coming down to Cornelius's house. And so uh, Peter ministers to Cornelius and his household and look at verse 44 in chapter 10 and it says while Peter was still speaking these words so Peter's in the middle of sharing the gospel with Cornelius and his household it says that while he was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished so the Jews that were there in the room that came with Peter were astonished that God was ministering to these Gentiles. And it says, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have just received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So let's look at what happened here. So the gospel is being preached. Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And at the same time, they opened their heart to receive the gospel and to be born again. They were also baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. What happened the moment they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, verse 46, it says, for they, the, the Jews that were with them, heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So here we see again, the initial evidence of someone that was baptized in the Holy Spirit was that they spoke in other tongues. Okay. And notice this little side note. It says that they spoke in other tongues and magnified God. A good way for you to magnify God is spend time praying in the spirit. By the way, just for the sake of our lessons, I want to just mention this. We will refer to speaking in tongues and praying in the spirit. And that equals the same thing. Now for our study at the moment, we are not talking about the public gift of speaking in other tongues. We're talking about the experience for the believer individually. Okay. So we'll refer to that as praying in other tongues, praying in the spirit or speaking in other tongues. It's all the same thing. Okay. 
Just wanted to mention that to you. Now go over to Acts chapter 19, please. Acts chapter 19 and verse 6. Now, Paul goes down to Ephesus to minister to them and found some people who were born again. It says in verse 1 that he found some disciples. Look at verse 2, what he said. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to them, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? These people heard the gospel, got saved, but yet knew nothing of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Paul goes on to minister to them. Verse 4, Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul found out they were born again, got them baptized in water. And then look what happened in verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now notice they had already experienced the work of the Holy Spirit within them, but now they're experiencing through the laying on of hands by Paul, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And it says that they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now there were the men there were about 12 in all. Okay. So what I want you to see in all three of these situations, the initial evidence of someone that has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the supernatural ability of being able to pray in other tongues or speak in other tongues. Okay, that is the initial evidence. All right. Now, I want to spend some time tonight talking about some benefits of praying in the Spirit or speaking in other tongues. And again, I'm talking about the ministry for you individually. I'm not talking about in a church service, uh, you know, as far as an utterance gift in one of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm talking about the individual believer, all right? So here's some benefits of praying in tongues or speaking in tongues. Number one, tongues is primarily for a believer's own personal spiritual edification. Tongues is primarily for a believer's own personal spiritual edification. Let me say it again. Tongues is primarily for a believer's own personal spiritual edification or building up. Now, just for the sake of time, write this reference down, please. 1 Corinthians 14.4, 1 Corinthians 14.4, Paul said this, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And then he goes on to say, But he who prophes prophesies edifies the church. So a different ministry. But he said, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So when you pray in the Spirit, in your own private prayer time, or you speak in other tongues, in your own private devotional life, you are edifying yourself. Now, Jude 20, if you'll write that down, please. Jude 20, 
the book of Jude in verse 20, it's only one chapter, says this, but you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So Jude tells us that we build ourselves up on our most holy faith when we spend time praying in the Spirit. Now here's something, you, just a side note that you need to understand is this. You cannot edify someone else until you have first been edified. Okay, so it's going to be difficult for you to edify somebody else, build somebody else up spiritually, unless you first have been built up spiritually. That's why it's very important. You know, as in what I do as a pastor and a teacher of the Word, I endeavor to spend time praying in the Spirit on a regular basis so that I am built up, so that I have something to build you up with, okay? It's not enough for me to sit down and open the Bible and talk to you out of natural knowledge of the Scriptures. I need the help of the Holy Spirit and the help of the anointing in, in my life and ministry, and one of the ways I facilitate that is by spending time praying in the Spirit. I'm edifying myself so I, in turn, can edify you, okay? All right, number three. Praying in the Spirit or speaking in tongues is a divine means by which we can speak directly to God supernaturally. God has given us this divine means by which we can speak directly to Him supernaturally. God has given us this divine means by which we can speak directly to Him supernaturally. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and look at verse 2. First Corinthians 14, 2 says this, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Okay? Uh, the Amplified says, For one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Now, I'm going to really date myself here, but back in the day when uh, the original Batman program was on TV, I don't know if anybody remember this, and I'm talking about the one that was on in the late 60s with Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin, that if you'll remember, Commissioner Gordon in his office at, at Town Hall had a red phone that he could pick up and it was a direct line to the Batcave so that he could speak directly to Batman. And he, all he had to do was pick up that red phone and it would start beating, uh, beeping rather, uh, and a red light on it would go off and, and the Batcave and Batman could pick up this hotline and talk directly to the police commissioner. Well, you know, not to make this childish or anything, but that's exactly what you have been given in the Holy Spirit through the ability to be able to pray in other tongues is a direct hotline to the Father. 
Now, here's something you need to understand. A little side note is when you spend time praying in the spirit, the devil cannot understand what you are saying. He is locked out of that conversation. Now, you know, and you know, we do need to pray in our known tongue in English, of course, but praying in other tongues gives you a direct hotline to the father. Okay. So it's very, very important. Here's number four. Praying in other tongues is praying in line with God's perfect will. Praying in other tongues is praying in line with God's perfect will. Now think this through with me. If praying in other tongues happens because the Holy Spirit gives you the utterance, meaning he, he's the one that's giving you what to articulate with your mouth, wouldn't it make sense that the Holy Spirit is going to give you utterance that's in line with God's will? In other words, the Holy Spirit is not going to have you praying a bunch of stuff that's outside of the will of God for your life, for your church, for your ministry, whatever it might be. He is going to lead you and give you utterance to pray for everything that's in the will of God for your life. Okay? Now go over with me to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8. Verses 26 and 27. And the scripture says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now, the, the old King James uses the word infirmities. He helps our infirmities. Well, what... Um, well, let me continue reading and then I'll make a comment. He says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses... For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, let me stop right here and say this. If you don't know what the will of God is for your life, that is a weakness. And what God does is supernaturally gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to be able to uh, in other words, he helps us in that weakness. So, so if I have a situation that I need to pray about, but yet I don't know how to pray or what is the correct way to pray, then the Holy Spirit supernaturally will lead me and guide me and give me utterance to pray what I should pray. And that's how he helps us in that weakness. So let's go on. It says, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And, and I'm going to go ahead and just for the uh, sake of this study, read verse 28. And it says, and... And now what that tells me is what he is getting ready to say is connected to what he just said. 
All right, and he says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now I hear people all the time take that verse 28 out of context and quote it and forget the and there. Because here's what I want you to know. For the believer, God does not normally, I mean on an everyday basis, cause everything to work out for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, let, let me give you an illustration. Um, you know, if, if you had uh, a, a calamity in your life, let's say, you know, you had a house fire and you lost everything. Well, you know, a lot of believers will stand up and say, well, you know, God makes all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Well, no, that's not that that tragedy, that calamity is not working for my good. Now, here's what you need to understand. The word, the first word in verse 28 is what connects it to the previous two verses. In other words, let me say this to you. All things work together for good to those who love God when that person who loves God is doing verses 26 and 27. In other words, verse 28 is not something that automatically happens in the life of a believer. It's when we're doing verses 26 and 27 that verse 28 begins to happen. When you are allowing the Holy Spirit to work with you and to pray with you and to help you in your prayers, that's when all things begin to work together for your good. Because why? You're praying perfectly in line with the will of God for your life. Okay? Do you see that? Because again, I hear a lot of believers and, and you know, they mean well, you know, something bad will happen and I'll hear, uh, you know, somebody will chime up and say, well, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God. Well, no, they don't. That's not automatic. Because I know a lot of people that love God and stuff's not working out for their good. All right? And you do too. But here's what the Holy Spirit does is when we don't know how to pray about a situation, he goes to work with us to help us pray in that situation so that all things can work together for good because we love God and we're pursuing after his purpose for our lives. Okay? So I want to bring I wanted to bring clarity for that or to that so that you clearly understand because verse 28 is not automatic. It happens when you do verses 26 and 27. And it's very important that we understand this. Now, I really want to encourage you uh, at some point, I'm not going to go over this tonight. I've gone over it before, uh, but I want you to get the notes for tonight's lesson because there's some Greek words there in verse 26 and 27 that it will do you good to understand. And I'll just make some comments about it uh, because there's a couple of other things that I want uh, to, to cover tonight. And But let me say this. Let me read this to you. And by the way, a lot of this that is in this particular section under this point came from Pastor Rick Renner as far as uh, the Greek definitions and so forth. But what he's saying to us, in, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us uh, in these verses is this. 
the these scriptures paint the picture of someone who has, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he, he who has fallen into some kind of quandary. So you and I have fallen into a quandary. It would be as if someone, meaning the Holy Spirit, or us rather, has fallen into a deep cavern and is stuck. You remember back in the, I think it was back in the late 80s, there was a little girl, I mean, this made national news. There was a little girl who fell down a well and, and you, I mean, just a tiny little old girl, maybe four years old, and everybody sprang into action and they dug and finally got her out. Well, think about that when I'm making this comment to you. You're like that little girl. When you don't know how to pray about a situation as you ought to pray, you're like that little girl. You're in a hole and you don't know how to get out and you have no way to be able to get out unless somebody helps you, okay? So it says, it would be if someone has fallen into a deep cavern and is stuck, there is someone, the Holy Spirit, who immediately swings into action to rescue and deliver the one who is in trouble. It conveys the idea of a full-scale rescue operation. When we do not know how we should pray for that situation, the Holy Spirit swings into a full-scale rescue operation. But in order to do this, he falls into that place with you. In other words, this is what's so cool about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He jumps in the well with you. Okay? Now, you're no longer facing that situation alone, for the Holy Spirit has stepped into your dilemma and is initiating a rescue plan to get you out of that mess. In this, he understands everything you feel. He understands the complete inadequacy that you're experiencing. I mean, can you imagine what that little girl was feeling? I don't, I don't remember how old she was, just a tiny little thing, but I mean, completely helpless. And had nobody found out where she was and endeavored to rescue her, she would have died, okay? And he willingly, the Holy Spirit, joins you in your circumstances, sharing your emotions, sharing your frustrations. Then he begins to put a supernatural plan of rescue into operation to get you out of that problem. Now that is all what is in the Greek language in Romans 8, 26 and 27. So when you and I don't know how to pray and we're in a situation and it's just overwhelming and man, we're feeling overwhelmed. We're already feeling defeated. When we will take the time to pray in the spirit, the Holy Spirit gets into that situation with us and becomes our helper. He begins to pray through us the rescue operation that needs to take place to get you out of that mess. And it may be, you know, any kind of mess. And so what he does is he goes to work in order to bring us out of that situation. Now I'm gonna say this, as I mentioned to you last week, I don't look down on anybody that has not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I sure do feel sorry for them because they are missing out on this wonderful ministry that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives to help us and to come to our aid. And that's all wrapped up in what he does in and for us, okay?
All right. Now, I want to say this before we go on. Um, somebody says, well, you know what, Pastor? I just have a lot of weaknesses. Well, hey, welcome to the club, okay? But here's what you need to understand. Your weaknesses do not disqualify you from the help of the Holy Spirit. They qualify you for His help. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants to help you in those problems. He wants to help you in those weaknesses. He wants to help bring you out of those situations. But we're going to have to spend some time praying in other tongues, praying the perfect will of God for our lives so that he can put that rescue plan into operation. All right? Now, um, let's, let's do a couple of more of these and then we'll wrap up. Number five is this. Speaking in other tongues helps us stay aware of the Holy Spirit's presence. Speaking in other tongues helps us to stay aware of the Holy Spirit's presence. One more time. Speaking in other tongues helps us to stay aware of the Holy Spirit's presence. Now keep in mind this. When you're praying in other tongues, it's the Holy Spirit giving you the utterance. In other words, you can't do it without Him. So when you spend time praying in the Spirit, think about this. If He wasn't present, I wouldn't be able to do this. You, you, does that make sense to you? Okay. Listen to John 14, verse 16 from the Passion. John 14, verse 16. He said this, Jesus speaking, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me, and he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him, but you will know him intimately because he will make his home in you and will live inside you. Okay? So this is a, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.4, again, we mentioned this, that uh, as I said, that the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the very fact that you can pray in other tongues is evidence that the Holy Spirit is still present. And he, He's not going to leave you. Okay? So you, as long as you're walking with God, that presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit will always be with you. And, and this supernatural ability uh, will always be a reminder to you that he is there. Okay. Now let me make it mention this. This is not a main point. This is a sub point under this. And that is this praying in other tongues makes us more aware of and sensitive to spiritual things. Praying in other tongues makes us more aware of and sensitive to spiritual things. One more time. Praying in other tongues makes us more aware of and sensitive to spiritual things. Why is that? It's a spiritual activity. It's not coming out of your head. has nothing to do with your mind. But it is a direct connection between your spirit and your Heavenly Father 
and it is very, very spiritual. And it serves, part, part of the uh, purpose of it is to make us more aware. It, it helps us fine tune our spirit to spiritual things. In, in other words, um, it helps you be more aware, not only of the Holy Spirit's presence in you and on you, but it, it, it causes you to be more aware of him speaking to you. You know, in a situation, if, if you're needing wisdom from God, you know, the scripture tells us in James chapter one, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So many times what I will do when I need wisdom about a situation is I'll pray in English and I'll say, Father, you said in your word that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I'm facing this situation right here, Father, and I need some wisdom. I need, you remember we talked about strategies and stuff. I need your strategy on how to handle this situation. I need you to give me some clear direction. And then what I'll do after I pray that prayer in English, I will spend some time praying in the Spirit. Because here's what you need to understand, is that the moment you prayed that prayer in English, you remember I told you God hears your prayer and he answers your prayer. But here's where the help and the wisdom is going to come from. It's not going to primarily come from out here. It's going to come from in here. It's where the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. That's where his direction, that's where his wisdom, that's where his guidance is going to come from. And so a lot of times what you have to do to fine tune so you can perceive what he's saying to you in your spirit is you need to spend time praying in the spirit, praying in other tongues so that you're, you can get clarity of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit so that you can begin to perceive more accurately what he's revealing to you. Man, I, I tell you, um, the times when I have done that and it will be, um, I mean, this is probably a very poor illustration, but um, anybody ever seen a piece of furniture that's been in an attic or in an environment where it's gotten so dusty and, you know, you can, almost can't really see the true color of what the furniture is or, or if there's something on the furniture, you can't even distinguish that anymore until, you know, what do we do? We blow on it, we blow the dust off, and the more you blow on it, the clearer it becomes. Well, that's kind of what uh, praying in the Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit brings that insight to you, but you need it to get from here to here so you can understand it. And what praying in other tongues does, it's like clearing the dust or the fog off of that so that you can perceive it accurately and get the direction of what the Holy Spirit's trying to get across to you. Does that make sense to you? Okay, because that's exactly what he wants to do. And I'm out of time. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.